exciting news, Piers. We're in the news. We're pretty chuffed and humbled to have had Marie Claire Australia recognise our work as a diversity-driven media company in my recent interview with the brilliant Grace Back. In this intimate profile, I recount my move from climbing the corporate finance ladder to building a podcast agency to what it means to be a woman of colour in media. We discuss the challenges of pivoting careers, the Peers Project's legacy and career-shaping moments since the company's inception in 2018. I'd absolutely love if you could head to the link in this episode's description, read the feature and DM me personally on Instagram to let me know what you think. My Instagram handle is at Misha Kidnor. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, Peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, Peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Welcome back to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Most people finish writing a thesis and head towards tequila, but Kinga Gentetics turned to self-publication instead. Realising she could put her work out there without a third party, Kinga wondered why other writers were left waiting. Published Drive was created in 2014 as an act of creative autonomy, allowing authors to distribute their work without having to push for it to live outside of their own pages. In today's conversation, Kinga explains how she got her start, the biggest failure of her career, and why she refused to work for corporations and instead pursue her idea. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, enough of us. Welcome, Kinga. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you, Michelle. I'm really happy to join you here. Awesome. So, you know, you and I recently connected over LinkedIn and and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work that you're doing, the publishing and in the tech space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. So, Look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Kinga. Uh, I'm CEO and co-founder of Publish Drive, which is a digital publishing platform to help publishers and independent authors sell more. And we basically built it with the authors in mind. And you can actually sign up and basically use different services 
to help you in the publishing journey. Cool. So awesome. And, you know, I've obviously looked into you and all the amazing work that you're doing, but it, it's just so cool to hear, hear it back from you now. And I can't wait to dive deeper. But I guess before I do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, so I grew up in Hungary, uh, a small town next to the Lake Balaton. It's called Siofok, and it is beautiful. So, you know, it's uh, next to the lake, and it's I, I really love nature so far as well because of that. But also it really taught me that, you know, it's a small town, but it has a great potential, especially during summertime. There were a lot of tourists coming from all over the world. And I really had to see the world besides this small town. So when I met a lot of, you know, people from different cultures, I just realized, okay, there should be a lot of other things around the world that I want to explore. And uh, basically, that's why I was really focusing on getting experience, uh, you know, in international markets. And also, I always wanted to travel to different parts of the world. So I spent some time in, in Switzerland as well. But also, when, you know, I had some struggles in my life, then uh, I decided to go to Southeast Asia for a one-month tour, backpacking tour, which was awesome, you know, uh, and really love that. Yeah. And, you know, I met so many great people and the culture there is so different, but in a very good way. And, and I think that was really important for me to, to, you know, see outside of the box that I grew up, but also that local environment helped me to actually build close relationships that I think really important if you are building your own startup or company, but also if you just work for a corporation or for another company. I find that so fascinating. And I think, you know, it's often you hear the whole, oh, go to Asia and you'll find yourself, go to Southeast Asia and go to Bali. And it's funny though, because it actually can be so true. And I mean, obviously for you, that was the case. You know, talk to us a little bit about, I guess, firstly, your childhood and like growing up, like who were you like as a child? Like, you know, were you always kind of, you know, were you more creative? Were you more like, I want to be outdoors all the time? And then I guess I'd love to know where this this whole thing that took you to, to Southeast Asia, all of that. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. So, yeah, when I was a child, I was always really curious about things. So when I was only, I think, four years old, I started to read on my own because my mother was reading to me all the time, uh, you know, and I was looking at the book itself and I just figured out what it means. And also, I was always drawing some kind of comics, obviously, in a child way. So it wasn't that perfect at at all. But I started to write as well on my own with my you know, very unique type of writing. So (laughs) they were not really the right letters and so on, but you could figure out what it meant. And, And I think I always was into learning new things. And also at the, at the age of eight, I started to get deep into music really pretty much. Um, I started to play the violin and also I felt that Music is actually helping me to to focus on the good things and also to develop some other skills as well. Because, yeah, you know, 
things can happen when you are small. So, um, for instance, my father died when I was nine years old. And I think music really helped me to actually focus on the bright side of the, of the world. And uh, yeah, when I was a teenager, I started to write my own poems as well. And also I was reading a lot. Like I was a book nerd in that sense. But, you know, I think it's a good thing. And also when I started to became more like a young adult, then I felt that, okay, what I want to do with my life, so close to the graduation, I was trying to think, what kind of life I imagine for myself. And also at the, at the high school where I went, we actually wrote a letter to ourselves 10 years later, uh, which was really interesting to read after 10 years passed and to see what I was actually trying to achieve or actually imagine for myself, what kind of life. And also I was really proud uh, to read that letter and I felt, okay, that girl was pretty smart in terms of, you know, don't focus on like achievements or something like that, but more on the feeling side, how, what, what you want to feel 10 years later and those feelings, those emotions, where do they came from? And, and I think that's pretty much defines me today as well. So I really try to be empathetic with, with other people as well and basically I always felt that as I'm so into uh, the different creatives like uh, music or literature I, I always felt the need that I wanted to work with creatives from these industries and actually I was working in the music industry at the university uh, or next to the university I was you know doing digital marketing there but then I always yeah it was a fun work because you know uh, you had to talk to musicians. They are pretty much fun people to talk to, but you cannot call them before 3 p.m. because they are still sleeping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you don't dare. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but it was just super interesting for me to see that, okay, these people are, you know, amazing. They are so much fun, but, they, that, but not all of them have business sense either which makes life so much more difficult for them in some cases. And I always felt that if there are some people who can actually support them and who have business sense, then they actually might achieve uh, better success. Basically, when I was, trying, when I was uh, writing my master thesis, I was still focusing on music, how the image of a country is influenced by music. So that was the main topic. And it was super interesting. And I, I could really see that a lot of people who I talked to, they were asking me, okay, where can they read it? And they want to see the results and so on. And I decided, okay, if so many people are interested in it, why don't I just publish it, you know? And that was the, basically the first step when I just realized that, okay, maybe literature winning me over <laughs> music itself. Uh, itself. And I basically started to publish my master thesis, which was not professionally edited, obviously. It wasn't professionally designed or so on. But when I finally did it, after a lot of painful processes, because it wasn't easy for me, I have business and marketing background mostly, so I don't have like deep tech skills or so on. But people actually were buying my master thesis. So from, from the US, from Mexico, from Brazil and from different parts of the world. And I just realized that, wow, if 
people are interested in my master thesis, which was definitely a niche topic, you know. Uh, and also, it wasn't professionally edited, and I knew other people who are so much greater than me in writing uh, or creating books. I just realized that, okay, uh, there should be a big market for this then. And I started to talk to my co-founders, who I know from the university, Robert and Adam, how we can actually make this process easier because there is a huge opportunity on the market, but it's not that easy to get published in different parts of the world, especially if you don't have tech skills. And usually writers don't have that many tech skills. So let's, let's be honest. And uh, yeah, that's when we basically started to, to work on publish drives idea and figure out how we can help creative, especially um, authors to publish in more markets and be more successful. Wow. I'm just taking it all in. I think it's just so interesting, right? Like how you kind of went from, you know, all the way from like, you're just navigating life, you're loving music and literature and, and, you know, and then there's business thrown in there and then, you know, to, to ultimately starting your, your company and actually helping these creatives. I think if we backtrack just a little bit to kind of your, I guess, desire to study marketing and, and business. So, you know, you did a bachelor's, a master's and a PhD, as you just said, your thesis, you know, where did this come from when, you know, you were really passionate about literature and stuff like, why business? Like, why marketing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I was um, playing the violin, I actually got to the point where my teachers wanted to send me, you know, to study music and only music. And I was like, I think I was only 15 years old. And I just said, well, I'm not sure whether I can imagine myself to be a a performer, you know, a musician. And I was thinking, okay, what else can I actually imagine for myself? And for some time, actually, I wanted to be an architect. So I, I was actually taking physics, you know, and I was preparing for that. But then my friends and also my mom, they, and, and my sister, they were talking to me a lot uh, about what kind of skills I have. And they said that because I'm dealing with people in a very good way and I'm, I have good people skills, I'm also interested in international parts of the world and, you know, I wouldn't say business, but just, you know, talking to different people and, and culture. They said that it would be better for me if I could actually go to a field where I can work with people or where I can actually manage people or something like that. And and I I just realized that they might be right. <laughs> because if you're an architect, it's amazing. You know, it's, you create beautiful buildings and or create beautiful things that last maybe that was basically what I wanted to achieve I think when I wanted to be an architect but then I realized that it's it's it can be very lonely as well and it can be you know focusing on being more introverted and meanwhile I I have a side which is pretty much introverted that's for sure because I believe that there is a scale for being introvert and extrovert but still I think it was the right choice to focus more on working with people and dealing with people which business has a lot to uh, in so that's why and also 
Uh, I was really creative at my high school as well. You know, we did some uh, drama like classes and also we created some videos. We also created some scripts and so on. And I, I like that kind of creation part. And I felt that marketing has a lot of creativity in it, but also it has science behind it. So it has a lot of statistics, a lot of, you know, data uh, analysis, which I was always really interested in. So I, I loved math all the time and all my math teachers as well. So, <laughs> which I know is an interesting thing to say, but my math teachers, they were, they were always women. And I think they were uh, amazing women, though many people didn't like them because they were really strict, you know, and they had a unique sense of humor, I would say. But I love them because uh, they inspired me and and they were, you know, trying to make me better. And also they were really focusing on results instead of, you know, just putting the work there and not having any results at the end of the day. And I really like that, um, that kind of thinking that if anyone was thinking, you know, more creatively, like just to solve a problem in less steps, so not in 10 steps, but only in two, then they rewarded that. And I was really keen on having that kind of inspiration in my life. And I think today as well, if I work with people, I really like smart people who actually can figure out to uh, solve problems easier. So yeah, that's the whole story. Yeah, it's I find it so interesting how it always connects, right? It, you know, you look back and you think, wow, you know, when I was, you know, in maths class and I just really enjoyed my teachers and that, you know, and then you think about how that actually shaped how you are now and what you do in your company and how you lead people and the types of people you employ, et cetera. And I think, you know, I find these questions so fascinating because I think it all, it all comes together. Um, even though at the time, I don't think we realize it. Yeah, super interesting. I've got a couple of questions around just more for our peers out there listening. You know, you talked about, you know, your mum and your sister really urged you into business and then you kind of reflected on yourself and kind of thought, yeah, I think marketing is the way to go. And you really stuck at that for many, many years. You know, for our peers out there listening who maybe they're a bit confused. Maybe they're, maybe they're like you where they're, they're good at, you know, at literature and they love music, but then maybe they're also okay at the technical stuff like maths and, and they're just not too sure what, you know, whether it's starting a new degree or, you know, even heading out there into the workforce for the first time or changing a judge, like changing career paths. You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening around that? Mm-hmm. So I think if you have a dream, like if you think that you want to actually become a writer or become a musician because you love that so much, then you should work for it and you should be going into that direction. In my case, I knew that I don't want to have that. So I knew that I, I enjoy music and I, I love it as a hobby, but I couldn't imagine myself as a musician. But if you have this dream that you actually really see yourself as, as a full-time writer or as a full-time musician, then you should go for it. And also I have a lot of friends who, who are, you know, starting this journey and, but they are still afraid. So they don't go all in. They just start, you know, 
a side job or basically a day job, a dreaded day job, I would say. Uh, and, you know, during nights, they take the extra mile to write a book or go to concerts and perform, which can be really exhausting. And I think, yeah, you have to take the risk. So I know that it's not easy, especially if you are, you know, if you have a family and so on already. But I think if you can take the risk as early on as possible, then it could be actually something really great for you that turns out. And yeah, it happened to me as well. So when I finished university, I I was still, you know, trying to figure out whether to go full in and all in uh, with the with my company is the right choice. Because, you know, I was working at corporation before in, in Switzerland at Zurich Financial Services. And also at that time, I got an offer from Google to work in Dublin. But then I just realized that, okay, do I really want to do that? Do I really want to be part of a big corporation? Or do I really want to, you know, create something great? And I felt that, okay, now is the time to... If I if I see that opportunity, I I want to take it now, and I want to want to work towards to it now because later on I can still go to a big corporation, you know. I can still apply for a job there, and and it still can happen if if my dream that was at that time doesn't turn out well. And I always say that I don't regret the things that I did. I regret the things that I didn't do, and. Yeah, that's why I basically think if you have a dream and you you really want to do that, then take some steps towards to it and, and, you know, take the risks because you will just regret it. And no one want to get old and think about, okay, what what should I have done like, you know, 50 years earlier? Because that's not what you want to see when you are getting old. And that's not what you want to tell to your um, granddaughters and grandsons either. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. And I think it's such a tough one, right? Because everyone's like, oh, just do your passion at night and do it on the side and do it. And that's phenomenal. I think it's great even just to start. But I think there is a lot of value in, you know, if you're if you're still super young, like, I mean, you are still, you know, like young, young enough, I guess you could say that to actually go for it and actually go, you know what, let's just make it happen. Was that, I guess my question is, what was the biggest risk you've ever taken? And if it was that, what were, I guess, the tough things that came with it? Hmm, That's a very good question. So in terms of risk, one of the biggest risks I took when we were still in earlier phase of the company and we started to raise money and we actually found an investor where we already had everything figured out and we were just working on the contract, you know, uh, in the last steps. Uh, but then something changed with the whole communication and I knew that something is not going in the right way. And I didn't know what was actually going on and I didn't I couldn't actually figure it out because I couldn't reach out to I couldn't actually talk to those investors and then the deal was off a few months later we got the we got the information that they just didn't have the money so (laughs) I think uh, and they didn't have the courage to tell us which was really you know a thing that you don't really do if you want to actually get together with someone in the same you know boat like to have 
a share from the company because that's what actually you do. It's like a marriage. So you have to be really honest with each other. But then at that time I knew, okay, we were really expecting that money. We were, and the team was also, you know, they also knew about this whole deal and they were really waiting for that as well. And then I had to deliver this news and then also figure out what the next step is. And um, that could have been a lot of ways how we handle this situation, you know, go to another investor um, and start this whole mess again and maybe getting back various deal terms or whatever just to get the money in the bank or take the risk and say, okay, we don't have the money. We are not break even yet. So what should we do? And then basically we invested our whole, you know, resources, whatever we had to make it work. And we reached out to all uh, the people and all the customers we had. And also we tried to upsell all the customers and uh, get new ones on board. And, you know, it was uh, 200% from the whole team, but then it was worth it because actually we could make it work and we got break-even and we got um, the growth that we wanted to have. And actually a year later, we got a much better deal from another investor. So it was turning out well, but at that time I, I didn't sleep that well, you know, I really had to think, okay, what should we do? Whether to go with the safer way to get someone else with worse terms or okay, take the risk and and try to save the company in a way which is basically all in and also trying to get all the customers on board and also sell them more heavily than ever before. And and I think that was the good way to go. At least that's that's how it turned out to be. (laughs) (laughs) I often find that risks at the time can see, seem so tough and so hard and almost like, why would you do that for? But then it's almost in the long run, you know, that they start to pan out. You know, I guess, what would be your advice to our peers out there listening who maybe they're just not that great at taking risks? You know, maybe they're more conservative and they they just kind of, they don't really, you know, see the value or maybe they see the value and they just think that's just not for me. You know, what advice would you give to them? And then I guess, how can we get better at taking risks? Wow, that's, that's a very good question. <laughs> so I think taking risks, obviously you need to be courageous for that and also you need to be brave but I think if you are not really good at taking risks then sometimes you just have to say no and you don't take risks so that's also okay to say that no I'm not willing to do that for whatever reasons and I think it's it's something that people have to also learn how to say no and it's not that easy. Uh, it wasn't easy for me either. And I'm still learning it, I think. But I think in terms of if you feel that risks are not for you, then don't take them. Because you have to be, you know, you have to really think that it's something that is worth to take risk. And if you are not comfortable with the idea of the positive outcome of the risk uh, and also the time that you put in on the resources, then it probably will not turn out well. 
So I, I would definitely say if you are not if you are not a risk taker, which is totally fine, because that's totally Tunnel normal. be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think it's totally normal, and and you shouldn't you know punish yourself not taking the risk either. So if you feel that it's something that you would like to keep for someone else, then you should do and and get comfortable with the ideas, whatever else you have on on your plate, uh, which are not that risky. There you go. So I want to dive. I mean, this is so interesting. You and I could talk for days. I'm just loving this. (laughs) I am conscious of the time, but I guess I want to dive into, you know, a couple of few questions I've got, which is really around the business. So I want to talk a bit more about Publish Drive. So you started it in 2014. And, you know, as you said, it really came from that idea of you just self-publishing your, your, your thesis, which is so phenomenal. And then you said, you know, you, you ultimately thought, well, why didn't I just, you know, had all these options. You thought, let's just go ahead, like get in, let's ha- make it happen. I guess, you know, what were those early days like? How did you get kind of proof of concept? How did that pan out? And then I guess, how did, how has the business progressed over the last, you know, five, six years? Yeah, so in the very beginning, we just had an idea, obviously. So, uh, and some kind of proof of concept in a way that, okay, people were buying my master thesis. But <laughs> that wasn't obviously enough because we didn't have, you know, any kind of platform at that time. And also, we didn't have any kind of, you know, credibility either because we didn't know anyone in the industry. So, what we started to do is basically uh, to reach out to, Hungarian publishers first to understand better the market and to see how we can actually give them some kind of value. And we just realized that at that time they were not really into uh, ebooks yet uh, and also not on the international markets. Meanwhile, um, still today we can see that about 40 to 50% of the sales are coming from international markets. So outside of the home country. So they were losing a lot of um, money at that time that were basically, you know, there because they had the content. And we just realized, okay, um, that's something what we actually should aim for to to help them uh, get into the different global channels and also to other international markets. And, uh, And we had those beta customers first. And after that, we started to chase uh, down all the uh, global, you know, retailers, representatives um, who were like, you know, Apple, Google, Barcelona, Noble, Kobo, Amazon. So all these big guys first. And basically, uh, we went to different uh, conferences, uh, book fairs, uh, where we could meet them because these guys are not easy to track down. <laughs> so they really, these companies really protect their people, which is great. But uh, we needed to be creative. And uh, yeah, I, I was basically stalking people there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Join the club is what I do every day. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it turned out to be good. So when finally we actually uh, could meet those people and they could see that, okay, this lady who has a very weird name and comes from a very weird country um, 
they might be actually something interesting to look at uh, because we obviously had connections to the publishers already. So we had a, a lot of good content that we could actually give to them. And they started to be interested in that. And that's how we started to build those relationships with the retailers. And when we got that, we started to uh, build uh, the platform and basically automate all the processes and, and build a, a platform for the publishers that they can actually use today as well. So that's how it started, uh, which wasn't a piece of cake, uh, that's for sure. Um, but we started from scratch and started um, from um, getting the first beta customers who were actually interested in the idea uh, and then basically validate it um, with getting the, the other business partners or on board who could actually believe us that this is something good for their business. And as we grow and we actually could automate more things on the platform and also build more, you know, uh, functionalities and better analytics and so on, we started to um, apply to different uh, accelerator programs as well. And we got into uh, the Google Launchpad program in San Francisco. That was also, cool. uh, that was really cool. So we met <laughs> a lot of amazing, you know, mentors from all over the world, uh, but also they could actually teach us a lot about the U.S. market. And we already could see that we have a big interest from the U.S. market, but somehow we are not communicating well enough yet in terms of how we should do business there. And uh, yeah, we learned a lot about that, how we could actually make it better. Uh, and also we started to basically flip the company to the U.S. market, which which was also a big part of uh, where we are now, because I think it's, it's super crucial to give the right environment for, for our customers where they feel safe. So yeah, basically we became a U.S. company and we started to um, have more and more customers joining. We built more analytics, more promotional tools within the platform. So we basically talked to all the um, different customers we had and tried to figure out what, what else they need from us, what kind of support um, they could actually imagine when they are working with us. And that's why we started to have more um, functionality within the platform as well. So basically... From the start, we had uh, more than 110,000 books, and also we actually are providing other services as well, which gives a better customer satisfaction for all the publishers and authors we are working with. Wow. Oh my goodness. It's just, it's just incredible what you guys have built. You know, when you hear it back, I'm like 110,000 books. Wow. Like you just, you know, and I think it's fascinating how it really did just start from that idea. And you guys literally were not, you know, cold emailing, stalking people, you know, the big guys. And, and what I think what the funny thing is, is that's often how it does start. I think, you know, it's not glamorous. It's not, you know, it's just very much so on the ground making it happen. Oh, yeah, amazing. So I guess one of my final questions I've got for you is what has been, so I've got a couple, but what has been your greatest failure that you've personally had throughout this entrepreneurial journey to date? Yeah, I think it's pretty much close to the story what I mentioned with this investor where the deal was off the table. And I think at that time, yeah, I, I was also uh, making some mistakes, obviously, because when we were negotiating, I think 
it was not clear why we are negotiating for some of the things that was obviously suggested by our lawyer. And also, I could have been more transparent and, and you know, focusing on more providing the details and the whole uh, context and so on. So I think that was one of the biggest, biggest mistakes that I wasn't actually clear enough. And also, maybe it was a mistake that I was really trusting them. So that's something else what I've learned during the journey that you always have to think about an alternative option. So even though you trust someone and even though you actually can see that, oh, yeah, it would be great and I think it will work out and so on, suddenly things can change and then you need to, you know, do something else or you need to handle the situation. And it would have been way much easier if it would have been, you know, a co-investment instead of, relying on one investor. So maybe that was also something what I've learned that it's better to have more people because then you can actually, it also creates a lot of extra work and a lot of extra conflicts maybe, but you don't rely on only one person. So okay, so okay. So look, over the last few years, you know, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've received so much recognition for your work. You've been featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, you know, named one of the top 100 European female entrepreneurs by The Hunda. Just to name a few, you know, what are three key pieces of advice that you'd give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Yeah, first of all, um, to start sooner. So <laughs> I would definitely suggest that to anyone to start sooner. And, and because, you know, at the university as well, I was taking part in a lot of competition and so on because I, I needed some extra challenge. Um, and yeah, I, if I just look at, look back, it would have been way easier if I put my extra energy into something more valuable, like creating, you know, something instead of just going into some university competition, which is also great, but I would, I would start earlier. That's for sure. The other thing is what I've seen at different, at a lot of startups. uh, I know that at the very early stages, they are really focusing on the fundraising efforts and before they would actually have anything or before they would actually have their first, you know, beta customer at least. And I think that that's not the right uh, way to go. And I would definitely suggest to focus first on creating the value and getting at least a few customers who would pay for the value what you actually give to them. Because if you get those you know, customers and if you get those values right, then the investors will come and the money will come either from your customers or from the investors. So, and I think it's, it's the best way if you can get, you know, money from your customers and they are backing you instead of some strange guys or whatever who want to have a big return on the company, which is also great. Um, but still, investors will come if you actually are creating value for the customers. So that's the second one. And the third one is not to fear because, yeah, still today in some cases I have some totally unnecessary fears of situation that I, I, I am not sure why exactly it happens, but I, I totally know the feeling when people are not um, doing something because of they are afraid of doing it. 
And I just learned that it's better to actually do it. And also it's better to ask for help if it is needed. Yeah, better to ask because what else could happen? You maybe you get a, a yes in, in the best case scenario. And in the worst case scenario, you will receive a no. And if you don't actually ask, uh, the no is already in your pocket. So the best case scenario is pretty high chance, actually, in that case. <laughs> so that's why I always suggest to people then um, try to not be afraid of asking and not be afraid of, you know, doing something because it's a pretty good chance that it will turn out pretty well. I love it. Ah, oh, this has been so great. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Kinga, for all of the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us and particularly us, you know, females, female entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs that, that we can go out there and chase our goal and, and chase our dreams and, and really make something happen. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you. And I, I mean, love with all the other female entrepreneurs I know and yeah actually I'm just accepted to a program by Google again which is focusing on women founders and uh, there are 11 great startups selected there with amazing and brilliant women founders and it's so great to be you know among these women and it's really good to have those talks which we couldn't have with, with our male friends because it's we have totally different challenges and and I'm really happy to be part of that group and part of that cohort as well. Oh, we love that. And I could not agree more. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? The biggest value is that you can actually be proud of yourself. And you can actually be okay with yourself and you can feel that you don't regret anything. I think that's the biggest value. Oh, Kinga, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my goodness. We have had a blast. Where can people learn more about you and Publish Drive? Yeah, you can go to publishdrive.com where you can learn more about the company itself, about our services, about our journey. Uh, and you can find me on several social media like LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out to me and I'm, I'm happy to answer and chat with you guys. Um, but also I have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, so everything what you can imagine. Uh, but mostly LinkedIn, I think that's where I'm more responsive. And um, so feel free to reach out anytime. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again. It's been, it's been so awesome. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. 
we'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.